United Methodists, from the very beginning, even before the, the movement had a name, believe that doctrine is to be lived, that our creed is, is to be experienced, um, that, our, that our faith is alive, that it moves and that it, it grows in God's direction. Um, and in the process, our lives are transformed and uh, the world around us is, is not the same. And so, in our, our series these weeks, um, Credo, what United Methodists uh, believe and practice, uh, we're taking a look at these, these essentials of our faith. Uh, last week, we reflected on God, and this week we're reflecting on Jesus. Particularly, uh, the, the, the creed that we recite, um, the, the Apostles' Creed. So, I, I want us to think about what we say about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And then the creed moves on to other things. Volumes can be written about each one of those things. You know, that, uh, that Jesus is Son of God, that Jesus is Lord, um, that, that Jesus is conceived by the Spirit and born of the Virgin, and, and, and so on. Uh, the, the, the focus of a lot of my classes in seminary was about uh, the nature of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And I remember um, first day of class, I forget exactly what the name of the class was, uh, but I'll never forget the professor, Dr. Bill Mallard. Um, I was sitting in the back row, I'm a back row guy, first day of class. He bounds into the room, not carrying a thing, stands in front of the class, raises his arms and shouts, I believe in the virgin birth. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun. When I think about the Apostles' Creed and all the important things that we proclaim in it, I've noticed the, the, the part that's missing. And it's a big part. George and I um, bring this up to our, our confirmation class every single year as we, as we uh, deal with the Apostles' Creed. And we look at it closely and you, you see these important things. Um, he, his miraculous birth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The very next thing is his horrific death, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, His glorious resurrection, He ascends. He's coming back someday. The, the void in the creed is Jesus' life. If, if my creed and my faith is, uh, is supposed to produce such faith that I can move mountains, uh, that, that the world around me can be transformed, then I've got to spend some time and focus on Jesus and His life. 
exactly what is it that Jesus did? About 10 years ago, um, my wife Chan and I, um, we went snorkeling in the Cayman Islands. It was a great vacation. The snorkeling was amazing. Um, you know, just some of the, uh, the best stuff that you can see under the water. We were about uh, 100 yards off from the shore. Uh, she got a little tired, so she decided she was done and she wanted to go back. And, and I mean, the, the, the coral and stuff, there was this huge drop-off. And um, it, was, it was both um, stunning and amazing and terrifying all at the same time. And I just wanted to linger there in that for a while. And so anyway, so she goes back. Unbeknownst to me, I'm lost in this uh, uh, underwater world with my mask and my snorkel. And she's halfway back and she starts having trouble. Um, trouble breathing, she gets a little claustrophobic, um, and this little bit of trouble turns into um, such anxiety that, uh, that she panicked. I mean, and it, it wasn't just, you know, like Kazu was saying, oh, I panicked. Like, this was, this was a, a, a real panic attack, um, and it traumatized her. Uh, so when I finally got back, you know, there, sh there she is, you know, on the bank, uh, looking exasperated, and she tells me the whole story, and then I felt really bad uh, for letting her go all alone. So it really surprised me when our oldest son, Ben, said, hey, mom and dad, you guys need to, to become uh, scuba certified, uh, that Chan would, would even consider the possibility. And she seriously said, oh, that might be a good idea. Well. We're in Lisbon, Portugal, and uh, we decided to take the online uh, class for uh, open water diver certification. And we decided that was the first step, that she would just see how it goes. And so uh, we each have to take the class separately. So we're in the same room on our computers. Um, we start the videos and we start the stuff all at the same time. And every now and again, uh, uh, the, the video would be showing, you know, some task we'd have to do way down deep in the water, you know, like take your mask completely off and then put it back on and, and get the water out all while you're underwater, stuff like that. And I would look over at Chan, her eyes would be this wide. I could just feel the anxiety from coming from across the room. Um, but she got through the online classes. We passed the final exam and, you know, we were going on to the next stage, which was the all important in the water lessons and the, the four open water dives. And so as Saturday was approaching and our first open water dive, um, I could tell uh, the anxiety was, was, was growing in her. And so there we are, we're in Sesimbra, Portugal, a picture postcard kind of place. And we're sitting in a circle at the dive shop outside. We're all in our wetsuits and um, we're introducing uh, each other and, and going around the circle. Well. Chan says, hi, my name's Chan and I'm a nurse. Well, you could almost just feel uh, the, this, something that felt like a sense of awe gripped everyone in a circle, that someone from the medical community was going to be on the boat with us, you know, this group of brand new divers. Um, they had no idea of, the ch of Chan's tendency to have a, a, a complete panic attack when she's even in the room with a mask and a snorkel, and that it would be a small miracle if Chan even made it to the boat. Well, then it was my turn, and I introduced myself, and I said, I'm a United Methodist pastor. Uh, the response was entirely different. There was kind of this, I don't know, awkward pause. People were nodding. There was a little bit of confusion. Uh, oh, well, that's nice. Uh, but I could tell uh, Philippe, 
our instructor, who was an, an, uh, a professional diver, and uh, he worked for the, the Nautilus Sub Dive Shop on the weekends, um, I could tell that uh, Philippe was curious about me. Well, Chan did make it to the boat. Uh, the first day um, was just snorkeling. We had our wetsuits on because the water was really cold. Um, so Philippe tells me to get into the water. And so I'm in the water with my mask and snorkel and um, Chan actually makes it into the water. And uh, I look over there and she's completely clinging to the boat. Um, the, the look on her face probably could just simply be described as a look of terror. She's shaking her head. She's doing this with her hand. And I knew that she was done. And I said, well, uh, at least we tried. We were, were back at the dive shop and we were washing the, the wetsuits. And uh, Philippe, our instructor, uh, he comes up to me and he said, uh, so, um, are you a Protestant? And I said, yeah. I said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Protestant. I said, United, United Methodists are, are, are Protestant. And then he proceeded to tell me a little bit about himself. Uh, he, he says, you know, I'm, I'm not religious. Um, you know, I don't believe in God. He told me that he, he grew up in, in Catholic school. And so, you know, I, I discovered that, uh, that he, he knew his stuff. Um, and, and I realized, you know, in this conversation that he initiated, that he really didn't have trouble uh, believing in God. Uh, his trouble was believing in the church. And the stuff that he said wasn't new to me. I've had atheist friends say it before. Um, his, his trouble um, with, with the comment like, you know, organized religion ha has been the source or problem of some of history's greatest tragedies and greatest evils and, and greatest darkness. In the course of our conversation, um, you know, he, he uh, talked about a church that was judgmental and um, e e exclusive, or, you know, that, that, that excluded people and, and judged people and, and condemned people. Um, he talked about a group of people that seemed more concerned about um, escaping the planet and getting to this place called heaven uh, and escaping this fire of hell, you know, th those kinds of things. Maybe you've been in some conversations uh, with friends like that uh, yourself. And so I, I listened to my new atheist friend and to his surprise, I agreed with him. I was just honest about my feelings about the church. And I said, you know, Philippe, you're right. I was like, over the ages, the church has gotten a lot of things wrong. And uh, the church has, has caused a lot of dis destructions. Uh, um, the magnitude of some of it is just unfathomable. You know, like the Crusades and things like that. Uh, that the church causes a lot of pain. Uh, always has and actually uh, continues to, uh, to do so. But I also told him that, you know, the Jesus movement, the Jesus movement wasn't like that. Uh, to, to be following Jesus um, was, was an entirely different thing uh, because Jesus' life was not characterized by, by judgment and condemnation and exclusion. Uh, Jesus' life was, was characterized by grace. And I tried to remember from memory best I could um, John 12, 46 and 47. 
Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And then uh, th this, this book what I, that, I, that I was actually reading that morning. Nick, could you hand me the book? This is it. Uh, After Jesus Before Christianity, a historical exploration of the first two centuries of Jesus mo movements. And maybe this has happened to you before too. Like, I read the chapter, the chapter that I read that very morning um, was, was the, the chapter on what, what really kind of set the context of, of life for Jesus and, and for his followers, which was the Roman Empire and, and then particularly um, the violence of the Roman Empire. Like uh, the, Roman, the Roman strategy um, was, was aimed at, you know, uh, the, the nations that they, that they conquered and, and, and coercing them to, to actually think of themselves as half-human barbarians. And so I want to read just a, a couple of, of quotes from, uh, from, from this book. The main prize of Rome's military conquest was an empire-wide program of enslavement. After every major battle or war, Roman soldiers captured thousands of inhabitants of the subjugated territories and enslaved them to serve the empire's ever-expanding domination. Strategic to this larger program of enslavement, and this is important to understanding life uh, in, in Jerusalem and in Palestine for Jesus, Strategic to this larger program of enslavement was the transportation of many newly enslaved peoples to other parts of the empire. Following the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE, almost 100,000 Judeans were sent to Rome to be enslaved. Many of these enslaved people built the Colosseum, the amphitheater still central to tourism in central Rome today. And I saw this, this plaque or this carving that commemorated the Jews that built the, the Colosseum. I saw it just the other day. And then, whatever good news meant for these various movements, the Jesus movements, it had more to do with the ways people lived together, the aliveness they experienced in community. This good news was not about winning a great battle or gaining a material foothold, nor was it about gaining assurance of life in the hereafter. What made a difference for these communities was caring for one another, bestowing forgiveness, being fed, finding a future, and being surrounded by companions. Like, Jesus opened a way for people to belong. Sinners, tax collectors, Gentiles, lepers, women. The list goes on and on. When Jesus was in the room, you knew that there was a, a place for you at the table. Well, at lunch the next day, uh, Philippe just kept asking his questions. Uh, he asked me if, if I uh, believed the stuff about Mary, uh, the, the, the stuff uh, about Jesus being the Son of God. And I immediately jumped up in my wetsuit and said, I believe in the virgin birth! No, I, I didn't do that. Um, but I told him, yeah, I, I, I do believe that stuff. Uh, he was having trouble with all of that. And so I began to speak to, to the mystery uh, surrounding the, uh, the life of Jesus and our believing in, in, in Jesus, because that was something that he was having trouble with. And I told him, 
you know, there's something cosmic going on with Jesus. That atonement is happening. Reconciliation is happening. This dream that God has for humanity, that somehow Jesus was making that possible. And, and I told him, you know, um, that it's not something that, that I think I understand completely, hence the fact that it's a mystery. But I could tell him that I had experienced it. I knew what it was like to be forgiven. I know what it's like uh, to forgive. I know what it's like um, to encounter God in such a way that now all of a sudden I can have peace in the presence of God. I know what it's like to live into this way and be reconciled with a brother or sister and have, have peace and love uh, around the table, that, that breach and brokenness uh, is healed. And then I began to tell him about you. I told him that one of the big reasons that I stay in the ministry and that um, I am an active part of the church as a pastor uh, is because of you. I, I told him um, about how you respond to um, our friends in the community who have trouble finding affordable housing and who sometimes find themselves in, in uh, a serious struggle and maybe often even out in the cold, how wide your embrace is and how deep your love runs uh, for them. Uh, I, I told them about uh, the people in our community who are struggling to find uh, enough food to put on the table for their families and how you're compelled to feed them in, in every possible way that you can. I, I told him about our migrant community, how there's so many people who are coming and they're looking for a, a fresh start. Um, and uh, they're, they're looking for hope and they're looking for a place to belong and how they're, they're finding allies in you. I told him about how, you know, in the United Methodist Church, uh, women can be priests. And he thought that was cool. I told him about how um, our friends in the LGBTQ community uh, have so often maybe felt like lepers in their, in their own congregations, uh, that, that the doors have been closed in, in so many ways. I told him all about our vote and how as a, as a congregation, uh, we unanimously voted to, to be a church that not only opens the doors um, uh, so that folks can sit in the pew, um, uh, but, but opens the altar uh, for marriage and opens the pulpit for, for leadership and proclamation uh, to all who are in the LGBTQ community. Our, um, our church uh, is standing in a place, but I think Jesus stands, and that keeps me going. As I floated in the cold water, I could uh, see Chan clinging to the boat uh, for dear life. Um, and I watched as Philippe leaned over the boat and, and extended both of his hands to her. And Chan reached up and held on to, to his hands and uh, I couldn't hear a word they were saying, uh, but I could tell that uh, it was a moment full of grace. The next thing I knew, Chan's face was in the water, still holding on to Philippe's hands. 
And after some period of time, she let go. She started moving her fins. And before I knew it, she was snorkeling all over the place. The next day, she's in full scuba gear. She's sitting on the edge of the boat. The anxiety comes back. I'm in the water again, wondering what in the world's gonna happen. And the next thing I know, here she goes. She rolls off this boat, crashes into the water. The next day, I'm at 30 feet, and I look over to my right, and there she is, right beside me, looking like Jacques Cousteau. Uh, Philippe took us to a place where he knew there was this huge octopus, and I put my finger down, and the octopus's arm wrapped around it, and I could feel the suction cups on my finger. I was so excited, and I looked over at Chan, kind of like, it's, now it's your turn, and she was like, I am having none of that. You just be glad that I'm down here with you. Um, but it was amazing. Philippe opened a whole new world for her. And I can tell you, her life will never be the same. Our text today, um, it's a hymn, really. Paul uh, captures a, a, a hymn that had been used in worship as he's trying to talk about uh, the important things of our faith. As, as people in the community are, are, are talking about non-essential things or, or steering in, in a wrong direction, and, it, and it's what Paul used to, to remind us what we believe about Jesus. And I just want to read it again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. So God has made a way. Jesus creates a place at the table and he calls us to do the same. Amen.